You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. You know, when you think of burnout, um, you know, sometimes you think of all these people that... that uh, aren't motivated they don't have a purpose in life they but when you listen to uh, Julia's numbers about the fact that burnout comes to the people that really tend to be most engaged um, and then they they don't they don't take time for themselves and I think a lot of us are we're so driven we so live in this world where we need to get the right grades we need to everything's pressure and we want to be the best and and we, we even feel compelled to be the best because, you know, God would want it that way. He'd want us to be our best self. But God doesn't want you to be burnt out. He doesn't want you to do more than you can do, does he? Is that how this works? Is No, no, you got to No, sorry. Actually, he wants you just to be just a big mushy ball of nothing. That's how God works. Um, God wants you to be in tune and in a connection with him. So to me, the, what uh, what maybe we need to figure out with each of our lives is how do we do some of this? For example, how do I stay uh, focused and connected to my purpose in life while simultaneously um, growing and, and knowing who I am and um, stretching myself and, and pushing myself harder to do more and to be more? How do I do all of that and not get burnt out. It uh, it's I, I guess the key to some of this is going to be um, I guess at some point in our lives, knowing what matters to us, knowing what our yeses are, knowing what we need to do, what we need to work on, what we need to be. Um, so it's going to take a little bit of work. Uh, interesting. Some research on happiness shows that 48% of Americans consider themselves happy, right? And um, which doesn't seem that, I mean, I guess that's high, but 33% of Americans say they're very happy with their jobs. By the way, the happiest careers happen to be clergy, firefighters, and reservation agents, which to me is what? But when you look at clergy and firefighters and, I guess, reservation agents, they're outwardly focused. They're serving others. They're helping people uh, take care of and, and do things. They're, they're, they're outwardly focused. They probably also um, – I know, for example, with firefighters, they spend only about 1% or 2% of their time actually fighting a fire. The other 98% of their time, they are probably preparing, working, exercising, anticipating – rejuvenating, getting healthy, you know, drilling, practicing, doing things like that. So I think each and every one of us could probably find a way to take better care of our lives if we maybe thought a little bit more like a clergy member who's always looking to the bigger picture of God or a firefighter who's always trying to prepare so that they can handle the fire. Some of us, though, don't have time to prepare for the fires because we're too busy fighting fires. And um, if you keep fighting the fires and never prepare for the fires, then eventually you'd eventually have, I'm betting, a lot of fires to handle, right? 
maybe 60% of your time would actually be in firefighting instead of fire prevention. So look at your own balance in your own life. What percentage of your day is actually spent in true recreation, where you actually are recreating yourself, your sense of, uh, you know, your sense of health, your sleep, by the way, your restfulness, your mindfulness, your meditation. Do we have time for any of this? You know, some of us have got to work and then we work. And again, you're going to pay one way or another here. You're going to eventually have to pay. It's sad, but it's uh, it's it's going to have to happen. There's a great um, definition by Dr. Sean Acor, who wrote the book on happiness, um, the happiness advantage. He, the 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 definition of happiness is the most accurate term for happiness is one that Aristotle used. It's eudaimonia, which translates not directly to happiness but to human flourishing. So what if we blew up the idea that we as humans need to go for happiness, but instead we chose to just go for flourishing? Do you feel like at work you're flourishing? Or are you dying? Are you just, you know, imploding? And what can you do in your workplace to feel a more of a sense of flourishing? You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Probably would have to involve four or five areas at least. Physically, what can you do to stay on top of your game physically? Socially, how are your relationships at work? Emotionally, how do you feel about yourself in the work you're doing, your vision, your purpose, your passion? How do you feel about that? Uh, financially, is it cutting it for you? Is it is it paying off? Um, and... Um, Professionally, are you being stretched? Are you growing? Are you developing? Are you being able to take this uh, this job to another level and be able to, to truly be who you need to be? So that's just simply asking yourself physically, socially, emotionally, financially, um, and kind of I call it spiritually, are you connected to what you're doing in a way that it actually creates flourishing for yourself? And if it doesn't, hey, that's normal. That's normal, right? But the the dilemma is at some point normal might lead to burnout. Only 40 – in her research, only 40 percent, 41 percent of the people she studied are engaged. Uh, according to the Gallup organization, it's uh, only 30 percent of the people that the Gallup organization studied are engaged. But of those that are engaged, she found that 20 percent of those – are engaged to the point of burnout. So you can have too much of a good thing, right? And uh, we we probably need to watch out for that. Some other things I've realized and learned just in my own life um, is, is to make sure that I actually am using the strengths that I bring to the table. Um, there's certain things I don't bring to my job that it's not me, it's not my gift, it's not my strength. And if I spend all day doing my job and then trying to get better at the things I'm not good at, um, instead of being able to magnify the top four or five, six things that I do bring to the game, then we might actually find ourselves burning out even faster. Instead of using a strength that would rejuvenate us and actually feel us, make us feel passionate about what we do, we, a lot of us in our jobs might be spending a lot of time making up for our our errors, making up for the things we're not as good at 
And I wonder if that just might be the selection of our job. Maybe we aren't in the right job if we have to spend so much time getting so much better at it that, you know, we're almost running against the grain. I would love to see some research done on how people choose their jobs and if that impacts whether they are happy about it, whether they are feeling burnout. When I'm doing what I am uniquely qualified and gifted, not professionally skilled at because I've gone to school to learn it, but things that I am uniquely gifted at, I feel more passion than when I have to do things that I am not kind of inherently gifted at doing. And by the way, the same I found is true in my own parenting. It doesn't mean I won't need to learn stuff. I totally will. But there's also certain times in my parenting where I am actually using my God-given gifts, my God-given talents, and I bring those talents to that parenting moment, and it, it creates a complete new dynamic in my world with my children. You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. Right? I might not be the greatest at making dinner, so I'll go learn how to cook. But I will make dinner fun for everyone. Okay, So we'll have a fun dinner because that's kind of my unique gift. And I guess I could improve my cooking. But I could spend hours and hours improving how I cook, and it won't necessarily make me that much happier. Or I could also spend hours and hours at making it more fun and dynamic and exciting and interesting. And that actually does make it seem like less work. So one of the rules I guess I'd give all of us is let's figure out what our unique strengths are and our gifts are. I've talked about it on the show many times. There's a wonderful website. Go to AuthenticHappiness.org, which is a, a it's Penn State University, and you can go on their website, AuthenticHappiness.org, take a test called the VIA test. It's the Character Strengths Test. And it will help you identify from number one to number 24 what your top 24 character strengths are. And hands down, I'm happiest when I'm living my top strengths, period. And by the way, my weakness, my weakest areas, I actually just use my strengths to mitigate those other areas that I'm not so good at. I use my creativity, my humor, my fun. My spirituality, I use my social intelligence as ways to mitigate the fact that uh, I don't have other strengths. And the research hands down shows that's what drives happiness. 93% of people that are happiest are happiest when they use their strengths 10 hours a week. And only one in four adults actually do so. So... It's worth looking into, folks. It's worth checking out. So go to AuthenticHappiness.org to, to get into that. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. I am, I've now decided we, we need more family time. We need to be together more as a family. It's amazing how and, – and I get it. Everyone's at a different stage of life and family where uh, – you know, it's not easy necessarily for everyone to get off work. Um, we had people coming and going all weekend. But it's also interesting to just – no matter what the age – my kids are all 12 and older. Uh, three of them are, are in high school and junior high and the rest are college students. But to have the college students around, it was way fun to just have them back. And to I noticed to just take some time to tell the stories and to tell the history and to recount the memories and to kind of just regroup. 
we we need we need to find ways to to do this and i know it seems like there's a luxury of time but one of the things i i really want to make sure that we understand is that uh making time is is something we do every day and it was easy i noticed for everyone in the family to just fall back and you'd have this lull in conversation and interaction and you look around the room and everyone would be on their phones but you can find time. You can make time. You can create a weekend. Um, even in the even in the most hectic examples, we uh, I had a uh, I have a brother in law that literally takes how many days? Maybe three days off a year because he just his business demands that you're always there. And um, so even to have him around was was pretty awesome too. There are moments, and so one of the, I guess, goals, the ideas I wanted to bring up during this Coach's Corner is to have us all look at our own lives, and are we making time to be a family? Are we making time to um, to turn off the equipment, to turn off the technology, to just spend some time together? And one of the things I might suggest, too, is that everybody right now, go figure out when your kids are off school, when your kids are going to be home when their summer vacation begins, and make sure you have found some time to take off. It might just be an, uh, you know, an extended weekend. It might be over one of the holidays, uh, a Labor Day or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter, but find a way to get a little more time with the people you love because in the end, um, having the time is one thing. Making the time is another. We've got to be able to to truly be intentional about our lives and intentional about our choices, um, also intentional about um, our interaction. We went on some hikes. We played a lot of tennis. And I sat and I thought, man, even just even just the drive to go get a drink with your kids gives you an opportunity to influence them. You can't influence people that you're not around. You I mean you can you can text them and influence them that way, but then do it. And I just found that I again I've I've been the biggest offender of this, where it's so easy for me myself to just ignore the promptings, ignore the ideas that uh, I need to go do something special or do something different with my family. But please, please, please find everybody. Let's all find a way to give a little more, bit more effort to the family and not even just it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be big vacations it could just simply being be more attentive uh make sure you spend a little time more time every day talking ask more questions listen more to what they're saying find out what each of your kids are going through um some of my kids would be gone for two or three days of our weekend of our week um away with friends having fun and I missed those kids. Why weren't they around? I wanted them to be around. And when they came around, I was more attentive to make sure that I could hear their stories and know what's going on with them. Not to make any of us feel guilty, but in the end, it matters. It truly does. And time is no longer an excuse because you have time now. You do. We we just don't use it. We don't make it a priority because, you know, we've got to finish our latest game or I've got to try my next thing or, you know, go check out my Facebook feed. Be careful because uh, this time with your family, you're not getting it back. Fun stuff. Interesting. We're all here to learn, doing what we can to make life a little bit better by our strengths and uh, by our engagement. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, a year or so, a few years ago, I had a chance uh, to go speak to a company in Napa Valley at a winery. And um, when I got there, uh, I'm sitting down. I got this chance to listen to a guy named Jim Farrell speak. And he was teaching uh, from the book Leadership and Self-Deception. He was from Arbinger um, Institute, which you can find at arbinger.com. And uh, I was just enthralled. He's a great, great guy. And forever I've meant to have him on the show. Um, and, and then we found a way to do it. The book uh, He wrote a book called The Outward Mindset, uh, as well as other uh, books he's co-authored and, and been working on. Anatomy of Peace is a big book. So these are all books you may have heard of from the Arbinger Institute. And I'm honored to have Jim Farrell joining us now to talk about how we can, how we can figure out a new way to look at our lives from... From our inside, you know, me trying to make myself happy to to a more outward-focused life. Jim Farrell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thank you. It's great being on with you. Good to talk to you again. And talk to me, uh, Jim, when it comes to our mindset, it seems like, you know, we want success. And when we look at the country, everybody's offended by others. Everybody wants to set goals, um, but we don't seem to be able to unify. What do, yeah. you, what do you see is, go, is going on with our country, first of all, and how could maybe an outward mindset change some of that? Yeah, you know, you feel it, I think. I mean, you certainly feel it in the politics and in all kinds of uh, things. I mean, you watch the news, you, you see it in real time, uh, it seems, on a daily basis. There's this, sort of this schism. And what, one way... One way I think to think about the schism in the country is to think about the schisms we can have within ourselves mm. regarding other people. Uh, I mean, one way, one way that we can be, one way we can situate ourselves with other people is we can, we can see them as people like we ourselves are. They have, they have goals, they have dreams, they have needs. I mean, I, I've got those things, too. They might be different. I mean, they likely are in many uh, respects, but we all have them. And, and I can see others in such a way where, okay, I'm going to regard them as people. I'm going to, I'm going to respect their, their, their desires and whatnot. doesn't mean I, I will agree necessarily, but we'll be able to work together. We'll be able to work through them. We'll be able to openly listen to one another, think about each other's viewpoints. That's a, that's a way of being with others that we call an outward mindset, that is that I, I'm in relation to others in such a way where I'm alive to their needs, protected, et cetera. So but, I'm actually I'm trying to connect to them instead of just staying in my view. Yeah, exactly, which, which actually, it's funny because, well, it's not funny, it's tragic. We can get in this other way where we're all internally focused, sort of cut off from others. I feel like the only goals and objectives that really matter are my own, and therefore other people um, really set up to me as really, they're more like objects in my life than mm-hmm. they are as people. I mean, I, I feel like it's other people's jobs to, to help me get what I want, and if they're doing that, I'll like them. If, if they're making it harder for me, I, I'll be frustrated by them. They'll just be obstacles in my way, et cetera. And we call that an inward mindset. Yeah. And, and so now we all set up. I mean, I I'm sometimes in my life I have an outward mindset. Other times I have an inward mindset. Uh, and there there are real consequences to that sort of choice. I mean, right now, I mean, you see. I mean, uh, uh, watch any newscast, you see the effects of an inward mindset everywhere. I mean, people. Um, I mean, doing just terrible, heinous things to other folks, which you cannot do to someone that you're really seeing as a person. Mm. Um, if other people really count like you count. 
You cannot do those things. And, um, and in, in our politics, too, I think we would speak differently of one another. Um, we, would, uh, we would consider viewpoints differently, perhaps, than we currently do. If we go in and we engage with each other with an, with an outward mindset, yeah. uh, we'd have much more productive, I think, helpful outcomes. It, because otherwise, we just have a bunch of pieces of the puzzle fighting. And, and I think we think it's noble because I'm fighting for my cause, for my people, for my distinct yeah. group. But I do it at the expense of being able to see everyone else's humanity. That's true, and I and, and and I also miss how my distinct group isn't so distinct from the other groups. I mean, right. We actually share a lot of things, but but we we end up vilifying one another, horribleizing each other, and then you then you can't hardly speak to one another. And um, in both our politics and our personal lives, it can kind of devolve into who yells the loudest mm-hmm. and. Um, and who can just marshal enough forces on your side to sort of to subdue the other side, which might look like a victory in the short term. But what happens, even if you even if you um, win such a quote, quote unquote, win such a victory, you set up to be um, so adversarial and at odds with one another going forward that it's very difficult to get anything done. Yeah, which no. I think we also see in I- our countries. I, exactly. I, I mean, and so let, let me give an example, and then you help us see how it could possibly happen. I mean, okay. we we saw, for example, um, well, let me give you two because these have been he, uh, heated issues recently: uh, pro gay marriage, anti gay marriage, LGBTs ostracized, uh, pushed by believers in God. Ang- people were angry and. And 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 sometimes could lovingly reject them, but sometimes unlovingly rejected them. Right. But but it, what it did is it. I mean, I guess you know we we were we were seemingly winning because we were fighting for our principle. But we created. It seems like if we're not careful with this, we end up creating an enemy and a hostility that doesn't have to be an enemy. Yeah. And and then it creates this division. And then anyway, so so that was one example I've seen happening in the country because that was brought up by an author um, recently on the show. Mm-hmm. But another one is the gun issue where we there's pro gun, there's anti gun, and we fight and we fight with such power and anger and and hatred and that we we don't see that we're all still trying to protect everyone. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you know, on both of those both of those examples, there's another example I think that's really illustrative that can help around those and, and any other issues as well. It actually comes, uh, interestingly enough, out of our military. Hmm. Over the last, you know, 15 years, uh, you know, there, there, there's been a lot of fighting. Uh, we've had troops in the Middle East, um, and, and uh, there have been victories and there have been real setbacks. But what, what military leaders uh, discovered through all of this was you can go in and you can win the war, as it were, but in order to actually build the peace, you have to engage with people on the ground in a different kind of way. Hmm. If they're just forever adversaries to you, they will resist you at every turn. Uh, they, won't, they won't be helpful. Um, they, you won't be able to, um, to obtain sort of a mutual trust that you need to have a society really working uh, and a culture working well together. Um, you know, in, in, in our new book, The Outward Mindset, we talk a lot about this. In fact, I mean, chapter one, you start in, uh, you're in a SWAT 
that you're in a SWAT team van in Kansas City. Hmm. Actual story. Oh, wow. Where, where they're going out after a couple of um, uh, mur- murder suspects, and they, 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 they have a no-knock warrant, so the SWAT team is going through the door unannounced with a battering ram, and, they, and so they, they burst into this home only to discover that, yes, the two suspects are there, but a whole, a whole bunch of other people, mostly women, small children, even infants in arms, are, are there as well, about 25 or so people. So it's complete bedlam and, and uh, fear and terror. I mean, you can imagine, you can only imagine yeah. what it must be like for those people. Well, so these SWAT officers who have learned to engage with an outward mindset, um, meaning that, okay, even if we're breaking into a house, we're breaking into the house of people. I mean, these are actually human beings. And we may not agree with what we think they've done. We're not sure yet. Not, there's been no prosecution here. But, but we may not, we might, we might vehemently disagree with the things they've been doing. But they're still human beings. And um, that, requ- that, that requires an obligation of us. And so they get safety uh, secure. They get these two men apprehended. They get everyone else gathered up in the dining room and home. And then, then uh, the, the, the SWAT commander, his name's Chip Hughes, he was looking for his next in command. He needed help with something. He, he didn't see him in the room. So he walks down the hall. And here's his next in command. His name was Bob Evans. He, Bob is at the kitchen sink. And he's mixing up baby bottles. Oh, wow. Uh, and, um, you know, how often does that happen in a SWAT raid? I mean, this might be the first time in history something like that has happened. Right. But Bob, Bob had just seen the real human needs in the room. Uh, we've got the safety secured, so how can we be helpful? These mothers, these infants, they could use this. So he mixes up these baby bottles and distributes these to all the mothers and then start feeding the children. And this, this helped. This helped the the situation in the home to completely dis- de-escalate. Right, people are feeling helped. They're feeling seen. Um, the men that they've arrested are now uh, engaging differently than they would have otherwise. The resistance comes way down. Uh, that's just an example. That's and great. So this, this particular team in Kansas City they started instituting this eight years ago. They used to um, they used to get. Uh, sued about three times a, a, a month. On average, you can imagine they're breaking right. up homes and breaking up property all day long. But since uh, begin, be, since they began engaging this way, they have not had a complaint filed against them in eight years. Zero. Wow! And at the same time, they're 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 gathering way more, uh, you know, um, illegal guns, illegal drugs than they ever did in the past. So all their success metrics are sky high through the roof. But at the same time because they're engaging with real-life human beings. And this is interesting. I mean, we're talking about in very dangerous, right. volatile situations. You're still able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can do it, and it would be true in our politics, it would be true, it is true, too, in our, just our basic relationships in our home lives, for that matter, or in the workplace. Um, if you can institute the principles of an outward mindset to engage that way with people, um, things just turn out a lot better. Well, and I guess because that we we dichotomize it, right? Where, well, yeah, but you could get shot. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, but you keep saying after the scene was secured. Right. I mean, you do what you have. You do what you have to do. You're serving a warrant to a drug house or whatever. You you make it. You make it secure. Once it's secure, yeah. though, become a human again. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's exactly right. And and yeah, one. Of, in fact, we've learned this from from people like SWAT leaders, the, the Navy SEALs that we also work with, for example, we've learned that from their, in their experience, actually, having an outward mindset, that means being aware. I mean, think about it this way in terms of safety. If I'm a police officer, I mean, it's certainly important today yeah. as we speak of it. If I have an outward mindset, what it enables me to do 
It enables to be to be aware of all the things that are going on around me because they matter to me. Other people matter to me, so I can see, I can imagine what they might be up to, what their objectives might be. When I get really inward, I'm so self-focused. There are a whole bunch of things that I miss. Um, I and I and I box people up into sort of categories. I might go, well, this is a such and such a person. They're not a threat. This is another kind of person. They're not a threat. Well. When you see people as people and you're outward and you're in a dangerous environment where you realize is a person is capable of anything. Right. So, so you know, having an outward mindset doesn't actually make you less safe. It actually makes you more safe. And at the same time, it enables you to engage in such a way, even when you're engaging with dangerous people, in a way that de-escalates um, uh, the possibility of other things going wrong. So... So for police officers, we, we do a lot of work now with police officers and agencies around the country. It's so critical. I mean, this work is right at the heart, I think, of, of the solution that's needed in all of our communities. Um, they learn how to engage in such a way that, A, keeps them more safe, and B, keeps all the community members more safe. Right, right. Uh, and, and gets you engaging together uh, as human beings, and you, you become more partnered up. It's not us against them. It's, no, we're together doing something yeah. here. And, and, you, and, yeah, you're more whole because you're seeing more of the whole picture instead of a part right. of the picture. Man, right. good stuff. We're speaking with Jim Farrell, uh, author of the book Outward Mindset from Arbinger Institute. If you go to arbinger.com, you can get more information about all of their tools, their workshops. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Jim's going to walk us through how to, uh, how to go about creating this outward mindset. Stick with us, folks, helping you see and become the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, life is complicated with all of our conflicts and just getting through life. Sometimes we do get so turned inward that we can't see the other person. We can't see the heart, the mind, uh, or even try to understand somebody that's different from us. We see it as we see political divisions. We see it when we talk about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. We dichotomize everything, and uh, joining us is Jim Farrell. Jim is a best-selling author and managing director of the Arbinger Institute, which is a management consulting firm and scholarly consortium that specializes in peacemaking for various organizations, families, and individuals. Uh, Jim earned his law degree at Yale and has authored several books, um, including Three for Arbinger, Leadership and Self-Deception, The Anatomy of Peace, and The Outward Mindset, and also... Um, a more kind of spiritual-focused one that is called Peace Giver, um, which, which many of our listeners may have heard of. So, Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. This is groundbreaking. I mean, this, the funny thing about, Jim, the, about these principles and all this content is it's just you know, it's basic truth and universal kind of good principles, but it seems so new to all of us. Mm. Yeah, we can kind of get sideways. Um, with ourselves, yeah. realizing we're doing it, and and it's really helpful um, to to encounter a body of ideas that can sort of wake us up. I mean, wake us up and and get us to turn back. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've forgotten something basic here that actually changes everything. It seems like um, a lot yeah. of what uh, the Arbinger Institute talks about is our biggest problems in life end up 
they're in our heads. They're in us. So we need to work on ourselves first and everything else maybe second. That's right. I mean, when, and, and when we say they're in our heads, they actually explode out of our heads, and then we see them in, yeah, then they're in everything. reality around us because we, we end up provoking the people around us to do the very things we are complaining about. Um, and we don't realize that that's what we're doing, and so we get very invested in, in blaming other people and worrying about how they're affecting us. And, we, and we're blind in those moments to, you know, we're actually not holding ourselves accountable to do the things that we're wanting the other people to be doing. I mean, we're not really worrying about our impact on them. Right. The moments we're worrying about others' impact on us, for example, we, we blind ourselves to this. It's why these are all facets of this issue of self-deception, which was the first book we wrote here at Arbinger, Leadership and Self-Deception. Um, we get ourselves into place where we get... We, we blind ourselves. We actively blind ourselves, actually, to what's actually going on and our own part in the troubles huh. that we see around us. What do we do to get this outward mindset where I can see the human in others and I'm trying to connect with their needs, their wants? I'm trying to understand them. How do we start that instead of kind of the natural man version of just self-protection? Yeah, you know, there's a, that's, that's the question, isn't it? There's a pattern that over years now, we've been working with people and organizations for, for 35 years, and there's a pattern uh, that we've seen over and over and over for those, either individually or in groups, who are, who are actually engaging this way with an outward mindset. And there's, there's three parts to this pattern. And, and one is, and you can, you can if, if you stay conscious about that, you can actually work on applying it actively. And we're all able to do this because we're all outward mindset in some right. parts of our lives right now already. And, and we're not in other places, and and so this pattern, if we if we start to apply it in these places we've been struggling, I think I think people can see real impact, real change. So here's the pattern. The first the first part of the pattern is to see others, to 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 wonder. No, wait, who is this person? What are they up to? Uh, what challenges are they facing? What objectives do they have? What are their needs? All of those things. So that's part one in the pattern is to really start consciously um, thinking about and, and learning about these other people. I mean, organizations, that would mean, look, in my role, I might, be, I might need to actively go out with the people I have responsibilities toward and, and engage with them to learn more about what their objectives are, what their needs, et cetera. You can do the same thing at home. So that's part one. Mm. Now, it turns out, if you get that right, if we really do that, and so I just invite everyone who might be listening, just go try this. I mean, try this today. Get really good today at seeing others. The people around, um, um, pay attention to them. See what you can learn about them, what they're up to, what their needs and objectives are, and then see what happens as a result. Because very often what will happen is if we do that right, the second part of the pattern will begin to happen naturally. And that is, the second part is to adjust my efforts now, given uh, what I've learned. So here's this person, maybe it's someone I'm living with, maybe it's my spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, a neighbor, whatever. Um, I've learned now about like, a new need that I wasn't really fully alive to or some objective they're working on. I've, I've heard them out more about that. Now, that's the seeing others part. Now, okay, is there something that I could adjust in what I'm doing so I'd be more helpful to that person around that issue? I mean, there might be some issues we disagree around, and I, I won't be making adjustments to help them around a particular issue. Maybe we have a different value set around that. But but around other issues, I can be helping better than I have been. So that's number two, adjust my efforts. And then the third is very key. Um, 
The second one's interesting because it usually happens naturally if you get the first step in the pattern right yeah. and seeing others. But the third one doesn't necessarily happen naturally, and it's what enables this to stick. Um, and that is that um, those who are being outward mindset hold themselves accountable for their impact on other people. Not just, I don't just pay attention to what I do and think, oh, man, I'm doing good things for others. <laughs> Pat yeah. myself on the back. Look at me. Yeah, right. Look at me. It's the way. Am I actually being helpful to this person? Did this change I made, did it actually help them? Do I need to make some other adjustments? So we call that measure impact. So then you iterate those three. And this combination of iterating those three, first seeing others, then adjusting my efforts based on what I see, and then measuring my impact, and then, and then that's all part of seeing others again and then, then adjusting mm. my efforts again. It's, it's three basic, I mean, it's a very simple pattern to keep in mind, just simple enough you can actually remember it and do it. Um, and, it and it turns us, I mean, it gets us out of these sort of inward patterns that we, most of us don't actually want to be in them. Yeah, Sometimes right. Sometimes we don't even realize that we are. Right. And, and when we were oh, okay, we're just going to turn the switch here, and we're going to start going the other direction. We're going to start by seeing others rather than start by hoping everyone else is seeing us. What? And hoping everyone else is adjusting what they're doing to help us, et cetera, et cetera, which is really the inward way of engaging. You know, Jim, it sounds like, though, the more kind of natural side of us would say, hold, hold, hold it, Jim. Yeah, that's nice. But the reality is I've tried this. It didn't work. Um, people need to learn to see me. And they need to learn to change. They need to change. And they need to measure how they impact me. So that that would be the very equivalent of me still having an an, an inside inward mon- mindset. Yeah, and that brings up what we talk about in in the outward mindset, which I by the way I wrote with one of my colleagues here, Warner. Um, it, it brings up what we call the most important move, and it's the key move, and it's the ability, it's the willingness to turn outward, even if someone else isn't. Uh, it's so easy to wait on everybody else. Uh, you know, well, this person needs to do such and such. And what, I, and what I don't realize I'm doing when I'm doing that is I'm actually inviting people to not change at all. When I, when, think about it this way. When I'm not changing, what I'm inviting in others is exactly the same thing, right. not changing. <laughs> and and so, um, so it looks like it takes courage, but it turns out that when I make that turn, um, it doesn't, since it doesn't make me less safe at all, actually makes me more safe and more aware and all those things. It doesn't make me stupid. It makes me more wise. Um, but it's what the world needs. It needs people, organizations, families, governments, countries. They need people who are willing to make the most important move, which is I'm going to turn outward, and I'm not going to do it in order to make others turn outward. I'm going to turn outward and see others as people because people is who they are. Hmm. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, and... And when I'm turned away from that truth, I'm not being truthful myself, which isn't only hurting others, it's hurting me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not seeing things the way they are. I'll be trying to convince myself that I am. I'll be provoking others to do things that I don't like, not realizing that's what I'm actually doing, and I'm just surrounded by things that I complain about. So who's going to be courageous? Who is going to say, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to turn outward. I'm going to engage with others as people because people is who they are, mm. and I'm going to do that because that's the right thing to do. And it turns out when you do that, and we see this over and over and over, our, our work shows it. 
It doesn't matter whether we're talking about business and it doesn't matter what industry. It doesn't matter if we're talking military, if we're talking family, education, politics. Um, a person who can turn outward invites uh, other people to, to um, misbehave less, to mistreat them less, and gives the, gives the other people the invitation and the chance to begin, uh, because they don't have me to fight against anymore, to, right. to actually turn outward back. Yeah, that's what the world needs more of. Um, it's it's the magic move, really. The, the magic move is a great name for it. Um, it's I guess too because if I'm aligned to my values and I value turning outward, and I'm not, then I'm going to start to create my own pain, my own anger, my own right. self abuse. I mean, my own. And then that's probably what's fueling all of this other anger. Is everybody is becoming what they don't want to be. Yeah, and I won't think I'm fueling it myself. No, That's no, I'll blame you. Here. Right? I'll blame, yeah, you'll blame me. I'll blame you, and we'll all. Um, in fact, I was, uh, I was uh, just an example of this. I was with a, a political leader, leader in Israel a number of years back, and he said one of the things you need to understand, Jim, is that we and our enemies are perfect for each other hmm. because we each give the other reason never to have to change. Yeah, um, we have these narratives about one another that keep us being exactly who we're being. Now we do this. Now, it's easy to get mesmerized by the world stage and right now by our politics, but, but look, everything we're talking about is, uh, is alive and well, unfortunately, in our homes. Right, exactly. Um, and we get the politics that we deserve because of who we're being. Um, and so the place, uh, I mean, look, it's, we do this as a company, and we're, we're helping people at high levels to engage with an outward mindset because it turns out it's just a lot better for them and their organizations when they do that. It's way better for the bottom line. But but the place really we all need to engage probably most of all is just in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And how much better would we we be, our family be, you know, our immediate coworkers, our neighbors? How much better would that all be if uh. we started holding ourselves accountable for our impact on one yeah. another? rather than worrying about so much about everyone else's impact on us. And if we could just start to see each other and, you know, learn from each other and adjust to each other. I mean, it's exactly. oh, it's profound. Jim, you're the best. This is great stuff. Uh, they can get a hold of you, again, at arbinger.com? Yes. And they can. I mean, there's great resources there. It's a company that's that can help you from every level, from the personal to the marriage family level, all the way up to organizational. Yeah, that's right. Jim, thanks, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much. Good talking to you. Keep up the great work. Wow, I'm telling you, folks, change. It's about us, right? It's about how we are. Well, yeah, but the world presses in. And did you see what he did to me? Yeah. Yeah, that's a person that's inwardly focused. And the only way out is you become the change, right? Gandhi taught us that. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become a healthier a person, the person you want to become. We'll be right back. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Uh, excellent work in our interview there with Jim Farrell. He really is, um, he's on to something here. And when I work with clients and couples, I cannot tell you. It's, it's almost every single couple. They, they just don't believe that uh, they, can do, they can make a change themselves. 
in themselves and make a change in their relationship by themselves. But one of my favorite quotes is, two heads are better than one, and one head is better than zero. I would rather that just at least one person gets the idea that the of the outward mindset, where my problem is I don't have enough ability, skill, control, um, insight into who I'm dealing with in these other people. And if I could take, instead of just reacting to what they're doing to me, if I could actually turn it and go understand, go listen, go be impacted, then it would give me more and more power and more and more insight in how to create change and how to create a healthier life. Well, yeah, but what if the person's abusive? Right. If they're abusive, you got to be careful, but the principle still applies. If you're dealing with somebody that's abusive, it would be better that you pay attention and that you learn and you understand and you have an outward mindset instead of thinking their abuse is because of you. And then you go inward. I'm a loser. I'm no good. And then you shut yourself down and become something you're not. Over and over, I've seen these principles applied in the couples I work with. And it's one of the hardest things you can do because a lot of times when you listen to this, it induces some guilt because you're thinking, I'm, I'm a loser. But the mere fact when you're, when you're starting to process the guilt, um, you're starting to turn inward, aren't you? And inward's fine, except it's not going to change the situation. It's not going to change the scenario. So the outward mindset might simply be, how do I start to take the values and the principles I believe in and implement them with others? How do I say that I want to be, you know, a loving, caring, amazing, wonderful husband, except I, I don't do that with my partner? And I, if I, what if I don't see my partner as a person? What if I don't understand their needs? When I work with my clients, so many times um, I'll have a part, one of the partners say, I know, I know, she's been complaining about that for 20 years. And I'm like, okay, so have you tried to understand it? Well, she makes no sense. Okay, but have you tried to understand it? Then all we have to do a lot of times is sit down and start to understand it. But there's this weird game that we play where we all of a sudden think our problem is our spouse or our problem is, um, you know, they don't hug enough. They don't touch enough. And that becomes the big problem. And as long as I'm fixated on that problem of my wife not doing this or my husband that always does this, that problem is outside of me. And I'm not going to start to do anything with it. Three basic principles, basic steps, uh, seeing others, adjusting your efforts, and measuring your impact. It's called change, by the way. You got to change. Well, when when are they going to change? You can't worry about when they're going to change. You got to change. Well, you make it sound so easy. I know. And you make it sound so complicated. <laughs> It's human nature. If you're mad, don't assume you're mad because someone else is violating your life. Why don't you just assume you're violating some principle? That's why you're mad. If you weren't violating a principle, you probably wouldn't have a need to be mad. Right? <sighs> you always blame me. I'm sorry.
We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you become a healthier, happier person and seeing the good in the world. We'll be right back. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. What are we doing with our kids? And are we actually setting them up for success? When you make the argument immediately that you're just trying to protect them, who really are you trying to protect? Is it really your child that you're so worried about that you would, you know, write all of their college essays? Is it your child that you're trying to protect when you do that? Or is it you? You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. So here's the deal. If you really want to learn, we're going to do the coach's corner here. And I'm going to give you some real things to go do other than video gaming. I mean, video gaming, good for visual learning. But if you really want to learn, here's some things you ought to work on. Numero uno, you might want to find, and this is a really cool activity, go learn how you influence and use your character, right? So go out and do you, for example, just think out there in listener land, do you know what your your character strengths are? If somebody asked you, what are you really good at when it comes to your character? Do you know what you, do you know what, where you thrive? Do you know where you excel? Because I might spend some time I mean, video games are great. Don't get me wrong. But you might also want to understand your own character, your own integrity, your own uh, hard work, your own loyalty, your own dedication, perseverance, all of these character traits that matter. Do you know what yours are? And do you know what matters most to you? There's a great website uh, you got to go check out by a guy named Martin Seligman called Authentic Happiness. And in that website, you can go in and take an assessment and find out what your character strengths are. I highly suggest you do that. Now, you could go play video games. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You could. But you might also want to go take some time and just identify of all of the the character strengths that exist, what are the ones where you're magnifying your most abilities, your skills? Where do you thrive when it comes to your character? And in his research, uh, Mr. Seligman has – Dr. Seligman has actually talked about when we focus on our character, we tend to be happier. So go find out what your character strengths are, hard work, integrity, loyalty, social intelligence. What are the things that you're bringing to the dance? And then a really fun exercise that you can do once you kind of have figured that out, start identifying every day some examples where you are influencing and using your character strength. Now, Jimmy Crack Corn, he's already asking me the question. I know it. I'm not even I'm not even going to look at him, but I know he's asking it. Hey, can I use that on my video game? Sure. I guess. Use your hard work to go get better at video gaming. Use your integrity to be loyal to your team in a a fight against Martians or aliens. Sure. Do it. Most importantly, though, just go learn about your own character, okay? So if we're talking learning, I'd go learn about my character. Another thing that you might want to do that's just really strange, instead of video games, you might want to go read a book. Just saying, a life-changing book. There's so many out there. We have so many authors on this show. 
If you don't know of a of a good book, just go back and look through our archives at uh, byuradio.org and you can just you'll see a million different topics. Pick one, we'll have an author on there. I mean, pretty much every show we'll have one author on. I have certain books in my life that I've read changed my life forever. Will never be the same. And uh it doesn't even have to just be like a self-help type of book. There was um there's just a lot of different books that can change your life, right? And so it doesn't matter what it is, but go find a book and maybe spend some time. You could play video games. Not saying video games are bad. I'm just saying you could also read a book. Uh, here's another one that you could do. Now, again, you can play video games, but you might want to just go break one frustrating habit, like playing video games. <laughs> just break a habit. Everybody's got a bad habit. So one one area you could go if you want to learn and, you know, go break some habits. It could be anything, drinking more water. It could be exercising more. It could be video games if you want to get technical. It could be your habit of sleeping in too late. It could be your habit of staying up too late. Just break one. I mean, I don't want to guilt anybody. It's just you do only have one life to live. And you may not want to waste it. Oh, shouldn't say waste. You may not want to spend it doing something that, you know, you're not going to be able to have people appreciate at your funeral. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Conflict in your life. How do you handle it? Are you one that uh, that can actually sit back, as our last guest was talking to us about, and and allow the difference of opinion in? Can you suspend your need to react? Right? Can you attend to what they're saying and remain influenceable, remain open to what another person is saying. Do you listen? Do you actually listen to what they are saying? And uh, on top of all of it, do you also voice? I mean, a lot of people could sit and listen and be, you know, quiet and passive, and but do you also voice your opinion as well? Do you have, a, do you have the ability to take what they've said and bridge your opinion into theirs. I call it build onto their opinion because what I believe is when we listen to people really attentively, 80% of what they are saying, you will probably agree with. So as as a mediator, I would sit down with couples fighting about the biggest issues of their marriage and they're they're in a pretty intense argument. And as we start to kind of, you know, slice down the argument into its its more finite points, what you will find out, find out when you get to the more finite points, we have about 80% agreement. There's a lot of stuff we agree on in the argument, but we spend about 100% of our time where we disagree. So do you have the ability to suspend and to make sure that you're not reacting to uh, your emotion inside, this fight or flight kicking in you, in your heart and in your mind that's making your heart race and uh, you want to stop them from saying what they're saying because if I can just stop you from saying it, I guess that would make it not happen or that would make you not think that way. But wouldn't it make more sense to allow some of these ideas out into the dialogue, especially if it's somebody I love and care about and want to influence wouldn't it make more sense to actually understand where they're coming from? 
right? So that I can understand why they're thinking this way, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're, you know, making or taking this position about something that I hold near and dear to my heart. There is, there's power, folks, in this ability to do it. And I, the funny thing is we expect our, our leaders to be able to do it politically, and yet I believe most of us can't do it privately. Most of us struggle to do that personally. Over and over, in fact, tonight as well, I will sit in a room tonight with probably 10 to 12 people, six couples, who really have a hard time talking with each other. And and we, we've trained them, we've taught them the skills, and tonight they come and they just practice it. And as they practice it, it is amazing how how hard it is to actually, you know, hold back those horses that want to just run with this issue and stop their partner from saying what they feel or what they think and or in misinterpreting it and taking it to the worst possible level I could take it. Those are unique skills, right? Notice I've talked about suspending, attending, listening, voicing, all very important points, building onto what people are saying, all important communication skills. Do you possess them? Because if you don't, can I just challenge you to go start learning how to do it? You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. We talk about positive mental attitude. We talk about having an open mind and uh, and how those things make a difference. One of the things I think that makes the biggest difference is it's not going to be um, a cliche. It's And there's a ton of research behind all of this stuff. But – the real reason I like being more positive is because I just feel better. Now, some people are like, well, yeah, but sure, you're going to be taken advantage of more. Hey, bring it on. <laughs> Whatever. If you're going to try to take advantage of me because I'm positive, fine. Because when you do, guess what I'll say? Meh. Oh, well, you know, did what I could. And I'll just move on faster. By having a little bit uh, more optimism in me, a little bit uh, more positive mental attitude. I'm not saying I should stick my head in the sand and pretend like there aren't any facts in this world because there are. But I also don't think I need to to just be negative. It's never served me. Um, I sit with people every day in my coaching practice that really are just negative. And it's it, remember the negativity. I wouldn't argue it's a strength, because we we already know some data in in the happiness advantage, uh, a book that's out talking about the the power of happiness um, is one of the data points shows that the most the most um, likely group of of professionals that are most likely to uh, go commit suicide and are the most miserable would be attorneys. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because their profession demands that they always look for the negative. So if you set your life up to constantly be gauging and trying to look for the negative, you will find an uglier life. Positivity is more about um, being able to see the, the rainbow, right? Being able to see the emergent property that comes out of the differences between tension and light. And our lives are all going to be filled with some form of tension, some 
some kind of uh, dark side and some positive side, some light side, and somewhere out of that comes a new reality. They call it an emergent property, right? It's something that didn't exist before. But sometimes you need the clouds and you need the storm and then you, and you need the rain and you need the sun. And when the three can combine, all this tension combines with light, it creates something that didn't exist before. But that light can't come if you don't let it in. If you're not looking for the rainbow, if you're not looking for the opportunity on the other side of the pain, then um, it can be there. How many times have you driven down the road with rainbow up there and you're not even noticing it? And some of us notice it and we're like, eh, well, it's not. It's, only, it's really only two hues. Hmm. Okay, I mean, it's nice, but whatever. We're actually like, we're not in awe of the fact that there's a rainbow. Yeah, it's just a rainbow. No, that means there's no more floods or whatever. So think about it. How effective are you at uh, not just protecting yourself from your cynicism? How effective are you at actually intentionally Letting the light in. Everybody, we want, I know, we don't want to be hurt. So it's very natural for us to to not want to be hurt so badly that we just can't find the joy. But man, what happens to us as human beings if we could actually search out the joy? And everybody, every one of us today, just today, don't, don't do anything else, but just today, go try to find three blessings today. Three signs that God is good, that life is good. Just find him. Look for him. And then every day, just maybe try again tomorrow. Let's try, try, try to find three more. And then what's really fun is share those. Share those three joys, those three blessings. Share those. And, and then just see what happens. A lot of us just don't dare reveal who we are because we're, I guess we're afraid that they'll reject me. They'll, they'll, we're afraid that if they actually knew who I was, they wouldn't want me. They wouldn't like me. And so it creates bigger problems for us. We, we've been talking about on the show uh, with the earlier guest about the impact of our exercise. And it's just a little tiny thing. You just need a little activity to start to make those chemicals flow. The same is true in our lives, in our relationships. If we could just be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more real about what's going on, man, a lot of good stuff could, could, um, could be improved in our lives. One rule is simply be wholehearted. Uh, Brene Brown, a great uh, speaker and author, researcher on, on vulnerability, talks about the fact that many of us just really aren't really – we're not wholehearted. We're not wholly in our relationships. We're not even wholly in our job. We're not fully in. And if you're not fully in, you can't derive any benefits of life. If you're not all the way in, then you're, you're only getting half as good as, as you could be at something. You're only offering half your talent, half of your love, half of your understanding. And so how hearted are you is the question I ask. We, when we talk about being a wholehearted person, and if you thought about your marriage, how wholehearted are you giving in your marriage? How wholeheartedly are you present in your marriage? Um, And Brene Brown has a great quote that says, we spend an enormous energy trying to dodge vulnerability when it would take far less effort to face it straight on. Are you so busy fighting and flighting in your relationships? Are you so uh, up and down? Are you so constantly wondering if you're going to be able to make it through this crazy, difficult thing, 
that that by being so constantly in and out and up and down and trying to avoid being hurt, are you actually just creating more pain and problems for yourself? So one of the suggestions might be burn your ships. Um, Cortez, I guess the the story goes when he came uh, to conquer and he arrived to conquer. He one of the, the things that he decided to do was to supposedly burn his ships and make it so the soldiers or was people when they went off to fight, they weren't allowed to uh, ever come back to the ships because the ships would need to be rebuilt. Many would argue they probably didn't burn them, but he just made them unusable to uh, so it would take a lot of work to actually ever use the ship again. But how are you in your relationships? Have you made it so that you aren't constantly reverting back to the idea that Hey, I'm just going to – I can always leave. Um, one of the signs of a, a relationship that's really gone sideways is we start to uh, you know, search alternatives. We start to think about what we would do uh, or we start to look at other people. We start to look at other things. We start to you know, offload our attention and our focus to something else, to some other hobby or something else that actually starts to take the place of our relationship. So think about that. How are you at uh, being fully in in your relationship? And throughout this week, I'm going to continue to do little coaches' corners on other things we can do at during the week of Valentine's, right, to make sure that we are connecting, to make sure that we are more wholeheartedly in our relationship because that is one of the key goals of this show is to help all of us be be the good in the world. And if we can – Lift our game up uh, quite a bit in our relationships those in those people that are closest to us. So we'll continue the journey up next. More empty news on the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've talked about millennials a lot on the program, and we got to be careful. We act like they're lepers, that they don't have any gumption, any what. They just aren't motivated, but that's not true. They are motivated. They're just motivated differently. Isn't that right, Ben? Um, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. You weren't exactly. even listening, were you? I understand. Um, I understand. Again, I did doze off a little bit, but uh... it's in in the end. These are just generational differences, and remember, um, your your child, your coworkers may be different. So don't just go in assuming that millennials are all the same way that they don't want to work, that they don't, you know, care. They they do. They just. They, they come from a different age where they were raised as the kids that were told they could do no wrong. They were the kids that were told they could be anything they wanted to be. And they were raised with technology in their hands. And they're the most compassionate generation you've ever seen. And open. And they don't necessarily feel like they need a mortgage. These are all the things we've been told historically about the millennial generation. But the question eventually becomes, what do you do? I mean, if I'm working, I've got to understand about millennials. I've got to understand who they really are and not just immediately judge them, not just, you know, throw them into this this uh, belief system about who they are. Because in reality, they may 
they may not be what I, I think they are. So we probably ought to learn one by one how to deal with them, how to handle them, and how to work with them, um, which is not an easy task for anything, for anybody. Uh, we ought to just as easily be teaching the millennials how to deal with the, the other generations, the X generation, the Y, the, what, we, what I like to call the more perfect generation. Uh, rough around the edges, generally. What, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Just like the difference. So millennials are kind of like they hit the ground running from what I've noticed, observed. Well, half of that was right. Um, and then the generation, what are you, baby boomer? No. Generation. I'm an X. I'm a Gen You're X. You're an X. You're Gen generation X. X. Like, uh, like in the word excellent. You yeah. like that. Or exterminate. Yeah, exterminate the millennial. You should be. <laughs> I understand. I don't know why you're talking, but um, <laughs> I sound like Donald Trump right there, shushing a reporter. Shh, to stop. Blah, 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 blah. Millennials, they they really are. Um, they're they're the rising generation. They're bigger. They say they're getting bigger than millennia than baby boomers. This generation, folks, it's here to stay. So whether it's your grandkids, your uh, you know your children, your stepchildren, your friends, whether it's just that that kid that's living in your basement that you're wondering is he ever going to move out, you need to understand this generation. And as it is with all human beings, the the best understanding comes when you're open to to listening and not just immediately qualifying them as a millennial. Right. In the end, if we want to have any progress with our with our our friends, our coworkers, our family, it probably isn't best to start with a prejudice or an assumption. It's probably not best to start with just massive expectations. What the best way to start would probably be to figure out what's really going on in um, in their head, what's really going on in their life, and so. As you're dealing with them, let me give you some tips, some cues, and some clues for how to help uh, work with, manage, and and be connected to um, a millennial. Rule number one about all human endeavors, okay? Anytime you have to deal with another human being, the principle of choice is simply this. In order to influence somebody positively, you must first be influenced by them. If you want to have an effective relationship with your uh, with your millennial, you've got to be influenced by them. Get into them and understand what's going on in their head. Is there a reason that they're not seemingly so rambunctious or ambitious to get out and and start a career? What is it that they are thinking? Are they are they concerned that they? I, I had a. a situation the other day where someone was saying, I really want to do what you do, Matt. I really want to help people learn to talk. I want to do that. I want to speak for a living. And I'm like, great, come follow me. Just come walk and watch what I do. And if you want, I've got a lot of internship stuff we can have you do if you want to learn how to do what I do. Uh, and And basically what I said was, Let's do it. Come on over. I, I can't pay you uh, to do this, but I've got stuff you could learn to do, and it would get you up and running, and then I could I could help you get some position in the in the industry. And they looked at me like, well, so I, I would do it for free? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you would. You would. 
Well, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I, I got, is there anything else? Do you ever need me to do anything for, to be paid? And I'm like, well, maybe the payment is just that I could probably set you up. I could let you go to my coaching program. People pay a lot of money for that. Yeah. That's what you said about this job with me. I know. For like a year. Well, I know, we, the assumption was with you, Ben, is that it would take off and we would be able to pay you someday. But we can't now. Now we've got to hire somebody that can do the job and then we're going to pay them. Okay. Uh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, our guest Jamie Tenzer is on the line. She's going to be talking to us about the skills, the tools, the rules for dealing or managing and working with millennials. What you need to know and what you need to not worry about when it comes to the millennial age. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you relate better to the people you're with. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Jamie Tenzer is joining us. She's an executive coach, trainer, and mentor. And for the past 15 years, she's uh, been privileged to coach and train executives and managers uh, to work uh, internationally. And, um, and, and she's, she's a mentor and a trainer. And she has successfully worked with uh, executives in teaching them about how to work with millennials. And today we wanted to bring her in to talk about how... How we can learn to better manage and uh, work with the millennials that are in our lives. They make up a major part of the workforce, and they are the future of our workforce. Jamie Tenzer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Thanks for being with us. It's um, you know, we, we talked before you got on about how sometimes millennials get a bad rap, and we we throw them together in a big you know mix of traits and beliefs about them. But what is it we really need to know, Jamie, about working with millennials? What, what, are, what are some of the keys that, that we, we, we need to pay attention to? Well, it's, it's a really good question. I'd say the first thing is to realize that millennials are not really that different than, than we are. Uh, they're interested in being engaged. They want to be inspired by what they do. They want to get feedback about how they're doing, and they want to feel like they have a future in professionally and also to, uh, to, to their personal development. Right. And, you know, if, if we take a step back, and it's great what you said about we have all these beliefs and we kind of put lump them in a big pile. Uh, if we were to take a step back and just shed those beliefs, you know, shift our perspective and really look at each person we're dealing with as an individual and get curious about who that person is, what makes them tick, how we can ask good questions to find out uh, what it is they're looking for. We'll, we will eliminate probably 75% of the problem right. with millennials. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. It, it always starts with our assumptions, right? Our, our beliefs, our prejudice about who the people we're working with. Absolutely. And if you have a mindset that, for example, millennials are lazy uh, and 
you're looking at your millennial employee through that through that filter. If you walk by her desk and she's on the phone, on her cell phone, or if she comes into your office and says, hey, can I leave early today, you're going to look at that through that filter and say, she's not interested in working. Right, right. But if you were to, if you were to adopt a filter that this is a young person who's creative and has a lot to offer me, then that, that cell phone or, or asking to leave early that one day, it wouldn't trigger that kind of I know all about this person mindset and you would be able to deal with each situation as it comes you you may still not want her to be on her phone during work hours and you can you know talk to her about that uh, but it wouldn't be from this place of oh you're just one of those yeah exactly you're just so lazy. So one of the differences might be how they work, their maybe their passion for their work, what they expect to get out of work. But you also talk about the fact that technology, I mean, it's such a norm for millennials. It's, I mean, it should, that should become an advantage to you. And it is a huge advantage. And if we can get past this idea that it's, either a waste of time or it's playing, uh, not that there's anything wrong with playing, right. but, you know, if we can get past that and really tap into the efficiencies that are second nature to millennials when it comes to technology and really help them coach us yeah, exactly. and, and, you know, how to utilize those tools. It's, um, they've never, with us, technology was always, it wasn't our life. It was always kind of an addendum, um, an attachment, a part of our life. But in their life, their technology is their life. So when they're, even when I look at my kids, I think of them like, are you still on your phone? But no, they're in their life. This is their world. Yeah. Yeah. And they're on their phone and watching TV and <laughs> right. talking to a friend and doing their homework. So oh. yeah, we, we <laughs> have a, <laughs> we have a, we have a new producer on the show. Um, that's actually our, uh, she's our social media person, Sadie Nielsen. And she has come in and done more on social media in the month she's been here than I think we were able to do. I mean, in creative, innovative ideas that, um, that we never, had thought of and she's just yeah. like what are you why don't you guys think but it's it really is a pretty basic uh basic idea talk about how they communicate differently and um and how we as managers and leaders could help manage the communication better well the first thing as i said is to shift that perspective so that we're we're really coming to each situation with a clean slate the second thing is to ask more questions. When I'm coaching people who are Gen Xers, maybe a a little bit on the older side of the Gen X, um, or baby boomers, there's still an old idea about, you know, the employee listens and the boss talks. Right. And uh, it's just, not only is it not the way it is anymore, should it be that way anymore? I mean, really, can we... Can we look at the, the upside of asking questions of our employees and finding out and learning from them? And, and through that conversation, we are also teaching them and mentoring them and coaching them. Uh, it, it isn't about 
not getting what you want, if you're a leader or a manager, you have a responsibility and your employees need to uh, support the vision of the company. But there's a way to do that without this kind of top-down authoritarian style. And the sooner people shift to the new mindset and start asking questions, start listening, start acknowledging their employees for what they're doing right, yeah, you know they're go- they're going to get behind and and uh, and not keep up with what's happening in the business world today. You know that's the funny thing. That's the exact same thing Ben was telling me. Ben, my uh, engineer on my show, he keeps telling me if I would just be nicer. <laughs> but I just tell him to be quiet and work, millennial work. <laughs> No, that sounds rude. Um, hey, let's do this. Let's take a break because I want to come back and, and have you talk about the environment and what kind of an environment we could set up as a manager, uh, what might be a better workplace for them, and and really what we might expect or not expect from them when it comes to school and some of those other uh, other challenges that some of them have facing and, and even student loan and debt, all these different issues. We're speaking about millennials, folks. Jamie Tenzer joins us and uh, she's talking to us um, about the power and the importance of managing and, and how to better lead a millennial in, our, in, in their workplace and in our lives. Stick with us, helping you connect uh, closer to those that you care about. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Today we're talking with Jamie Tenzer. Uh, Jamie is an executive coach, a trainer, a mentor, and uh, she has served as supervisor, mentor, and trainer for the International Coach Academy from 2006 to 2015 and is with us this morning to help us learn more about creating a healthy and successful work environment for employees of all ages. Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. It is my pleasure. Thank you. What else can we do to create the right environment, the right uh, you know workspace? Do when we think of millennials, are millennials um, do they work well in like an open work environment? Uh, do they do would office closed wall doors help? What's the kind of setting that makes an ideal setting? I would say collaboration is key. Uh, so an open office space is important and lots of opportunity to collaborate as teams and in groups. I was thinking about this um, when you were on break. You know, millennials are living in shorter spans of time throughout each day. You know, with technology, uh, everything is kind of shorter. And we say, well, the attention pa- Span is shorter. That may be true, but but it's very chunked down. So I would say, in terms of how we're dealing with uh, millennials, I would say that we should be offering more opportunities for engagement and shorter time frames. So if you are used to giving your employees feedback, maybe every couple of weeks, how are they doing? Uh, just a comment or two or an acknowledgement, step that up to every week. Hmm. Find something to 
to share with your millennial, you know what, that was great. I love that you had that idea and you brought it up in the meeting. Thanks for taking the ball and running with that. You know, just just a sentence. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big, long meeting. Uh, but shorten those time frames a little bit. Give them more opportunity to get together in groups and brainstorm and collaborate and co-create. And give them more opportunity to spend time with you. I know as a manager and a leader, we think, oh my gosh, I already don't have enough time. Now I have to spend time Mm -hmm. with my millennial employees. But here's the thing, you will save so much time in the long run. Spend 10 minutes with your employee, ask questions, listen, answer their questions. Uh, The work productivity will go up and you will find yourself saving time. I mean, it's, it's, they're very relational, right? It seems like they're used to wanting to be engaged and appreciated at maybe a higher level than, than the rest of it. Yeah, and I think that we all are relational, yeah. and we all want to be affirmed and acknowledged. And uh, we have gotten used to, those of us who are a little bit older, have gotten used to not having that. Right. That's not how it is in the workplace. You don't get acknowledged. Uh, and, and I think they've got the right idea. I, th- I think all of us need that kind of feedback and relational support and acknowledgement and affirmation. And I think it helps all of us build loyalty, work more productively, feel better about going to the office every day. It's a win-win. You know, it's it probably, once we kind of went through the Industrial Revolution, we all became a bunch of cogs, just a bunch of pieces and parts that, yeah, maybe we have fallen away and this is now a course correction to get back to, you know, a, an integrated relationship-based uh, work environment. And, and you use the word coach a lot um, as, as kind of a coaching approach. You see that the manager could really become more of a, a coach figure. Talk about that. Yes. So I, I think, and again, I'll say for, for all generations, we really want coaches and not managers. Uh, managers, actually, I'm going to say that again. We want managers that use coaching skills as a part of their management style. So coaching skills, and we've already talked a little bit about this, uh, include being curious, interested, listen, ask good questions, acknowledge, and all of those are, are tools that managers can use along with all the other tools that they already have in their toolbox to really create the kind of loyalty and productivity that, you know, we all want in, in our employees. So, yes, I believe in a coach approach, and part of what I do is is to teach managers those coaching school skills so yeah. that they can add them to their toolbox. It's, um, I mean, it is a different mentality. It's kind of like, you know, I'm your manager, you do the work, and um, you're saying it's more now. We're a team. I guess that's always supposedly been some of the 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 belief about it, but it seems like this is a group that they can tell if you're not in and they, they can tell if you don't, if you don't know them and don't understand them and and are frustrated by them, they're going to read between the lines. 
Yeah, they're really, they're actually really pushing us to, to up our game. One thing that we haven't talked about is executive presence. And we've all been in the presence of leaders who don't need to prove how much they know or that they are at the top of, of the company or that they have the power because they have such grounded presence that they, they just being in the room, um, you know who they are. Yeah. You, you know the power they have. And when, those, when, when we're in the presence of those leaders who don't have to constantly prove their own value, but really feel so self-confident that they're able to give power away to those around them, that's, that's true leadership. That's executive presence. And, you know, part of what I work with managers on is how can you incorporate some of these tools for yourself so that you can create that grounded presence and really have the confidence to allow your younger employees to make a difference. No, that's so it's, – it's powerful too because they – there's nothing more um, building of conf- of one's confidence than letting having your leader defer to you to yes. to lead and to think and to manage it and to answer it. And that is the ultimate sign of true leadership and confidence is to be able to give that power power away. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's like you said, it's very powerful. What? And it's Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, Jamie, as we, we kind of are, need to wrap it up in a minute or two, but um, I, I guess part of this deal is it's, it's our management responsibility. It's our leadership responsibility with the millennials. What would you say to the millennial that uh, to, to be able to get in and integrate better with multiple generations of workforce? Yeah, thank you. What a great question. And I do coach millennials. Um, and I would say that for millennials, what needs to happen is patience, listening, understanding that you will get your opportunities more likely by asking good questions and listening and doing what is, what is asked of you in an appropriate time frame uh, and with respect. I think, I think, Sometimes some behaviors of the millennial generation can feel disrespectful to people of other generations, and I don't believe it's meant that way. So some of what I do with millennials is really break down, you know, where are you getting this pushback from the people who are managing you? And let's, let's unpack that and look at how does that, how could you have rephrased that? Hmm. How could you uh, change the way you're relating to the people who you are working for so that you have a, um, a better result yeah. back? Well, James, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a two-way street, and, and yet you, could, you can remember, if any of us can just think back to when we were young and in the work, starting out in the workforce, it would have been so great to have an active, involved leader, mentor, coach that would take us under their wing. And um, we probably just need to remember that as we're, as we're dealing with the millennials and, and really all of our coworkers. Yeah, and really give a gift to your employees that maybe you didn't get 
when you were when you were in their position, but now you have the great opportunity to give that gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie Tenzer, we appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for your insights and time. Thank you so much, Matt. You bet. Jamie Tenzer at jamietenzer.com. J-A-M-E-E-T-E-N-Z-E-R.com. Go check out her website and some of her writings there as well and her services. Folks, it's about coaching, really. It's about... um, it's about being the leader that you, you would have loved to have had. So think about that. Are you, are you that kind of leader? Are you the one that, uh, that you dreamt of having when you were a young um, you know, newbie in the company? It's not as easy once you get to kind of management or senior management or the executive level. It's it's still about motivating, and if there's a group that needs motivation, it's it's this millennial. They need to have some passion and some connection to what they're doing. By the way, every human does, and what they might be doing is gently, in a way, or sometimes abruptly, leading us back to really the, the highest level of people we can be. So what frustrates us in them is that they actually have the audacity to want it, to want what we wanted. They have the audacity to, to want it in a certain way. They have the nerve to not need to get like deeply indebted like we did. So maybe some of our frustration with them comes from the fact that we didn't take this stand. And we might be you know, Gen Xers in debt and overwhelmed and exhausted, and we look at these freewheelers just freeloading. No, they're, they're creating their life. They're just doing it their way. It's always going to happen generationally, right? You're, you're going to create an opposite arc, uh, I mean, parallel in some way, but some uh, results will be opposite of what your parents gave you. People that might be a little slower to marriage if they saw a lot of marriages ending in chaos. People might be slower to get a home loan if they see how miserable their parents were trying to pay off a home loan, Right? People might believe less in certain institutions if they see that those institutions took advantage. So we call that life. And you're getting a little dose of it right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Got to come back. Get excited for that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. 